All right, well, good evening, everybody. It's great to see you. Welcome to Coastline Covenant. You know, uh, if you had the chance to join us yesterday for the uh, Coastline Covenant Cornhole Tournament, I got to tell you, you were in for a spectacle because it was absolutely uh, shocking what happened. We had senior citizens making their way into the final. We had children knocking out Garrick. We had... You could not have predicted all of the things that happened yesterday. An incredibly fun day out there put on by the Exopolises. So really fun chance for us to get to know each other. Good day. And I have a feeling it was so much fun that we're going to be doing it again soon. So certainly you are invited to come and participate in the Coastline family far beyond just what we do here on Sundays. You know, we are in a sermon series called Foundations. And the reason why we're doing this series is because we're a new church. And because we're a new church, that means that we can kind of build ourselves upon any sort of values or principles uh, or any sort of mission directive. We can build our budget any sort of way that we might want to be. We can make this church as formal or as traditional or as contemporary as we might want to be. So the question is, what should it be? What should any church be? What is it that God has called any church to be, and also specifically Coastline. And as we've been praying about that and talking about it, Garrick and I came up with some key values and some key vision statements that we wanted to plant this church with, which our staff have kind of come alongside with. So we've been rolling these out to you so you kind of understand who we think God is calling Coastline to be. We have already preached on a few of them so far. Our vision statement is something that we talk about a lot. It's to live as God's beloved family. Inviting all to experience Jesus. That is something you're going to hear a lot from us, that it is so important for this church to not be a service, but for it to be a family, and for that to be something we're inviting people into. Our mission, like how we're going to do that, how are we going to actually invite people into the family of God? It's this. We want to create joyful and courageous followers of Jesus. Those two words almost never get put together. To be joyful and courageous. And yet we think that's the unique calling that God has called for his people, Christians, to be both joyful and courageous. And the values, the things that we want to see present in everything that we do, everything that we make, we want to be boldly biblical, fully family, holy worshiping, and spirit seeking. And today we're talking about being fully family. Uh, since we've been talking about being a family a lot, I thought we would do this sermon a little bit differently. In fact, I'm going to be handing over the microphone here in about 15 minutes to our congregation, a few key members of it, and asking them to share a little bit about what they want the church to feel like and what family would mean to them given their experiences and their life stage. So I'm excited to do that. We're also going to be celebrating our first communion together. We've been talking about this a lot. The funny thing for us is we've been talking about how should we take communion? Should we dip it or should you pass the plate? Should you do it every week or not every week? How high or low should communion be? And eventually we realized that we were talking about how to take communion so often that we just weren't taking communion because we couldn't figure it out. So we decided let's just do it and how we do it tonight might not be how we do it next time, but that's okay because we're like a month old, so that'll be fine. But we're gonna be taking communion. But before we do that, I want to take us into a story from Jesus's family and an encounter that Jesus has with his siblings and with his mother that I think oftentimes we get wrong. I think it's easy for us to look at it and to get Jesus' intention wrong and maybe read into Jesus' words something that isn't there. 
And what is there, I think, is actually so central to Jesus' heart and to the very reason why he came that we dare not miss it. And so if you have your Bibles, if you'd open them up to Matthew chapter 12, we're going to begin there. Matthew 12, verse 46 to 50. And, and I always think it's, it's good for us to honor the word when we read it. So if you'd stand with me, Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50, it says this. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak with him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? A pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my brother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is God's word for us today. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the small but mighty six o'clock service. It is always so fun to come in here and hear them out sing the four o'clock service. What a blessing that is. Uh, and God, we pray that today you would unite us um, in practice as a family in the ways that you've already united us spiritually as a family. God, we want to ask that you'd help us to love one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens. Uh, Lord, to be uh, a home for one another in the power of Jesus, through the unifying power of the Spirit, under the fatherhood of the Father. Lord, we pray that you would do that amongst us. And as we open up your word, speak to us. God, we are so grateful that you, uh, you see our mess, you see all of our immaturity, you see all of our mistakes, you see all of our present struggles. And yet, God, you do not leave us in them uh, in disgust, and you do not come to us and say, fix it, as if we could do it on our own power. But God, you come alongside of us, uh, offering us your spirit and your strength um, and your constant presence, never leaving us alone in it, and that you have a power working in us to help us change. So God, change us personally and collectively today. We love you. It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. If you were with us last week, uh, we were in John chapter 6, which took a look at Jesus' growing popularity. I'm just going to go very quickly through that as I recap. Jesus' popularity is beginning to increase at a rapid pace due to the nature of his ministry. Uh, he is teaching in a way that people just haven't heard before. It's compelling. People cannot wait to hear what he's going to say next. He is saying things that they've never heard before uh, with a power that they've never experienced before. For them, they thought, this is what it must have been like to hear an Old Testament prophet. It's happening right in front of us. And so people were drawn to Jesus' teaching. But he's also healing people. Uh, people who are, have been lifelong paralytics, people who have been blind or deaf, people who have been born dumb, whatever it might be, he is now coming and laying hands and healing them. And so there are people who are coming to whom are sick with this hope that he might bring healing. And then he's also casting out demons. And so people want to see that spectacle of the spiritual world in combat. They want to see Jesus cast out demons and what that must be like. And then he has done a couple of miracles where he has actually fed a large number of people. And so people are coming for food and a show and a miracle and some great teaching. And Jesus' celebrity is just growing. But Jesus is concerned that people are coming to see these things but might actually be missing his message in them that they're coming for the food or the show, they're coming to see something amazing, but they're missing the really high calling that he has. 
that he has already asked people to leave their family and to leave their careers, to leave behind their nets and follow him. He has told them that they're going to have to give up their wealth to follow him. He's gone after whatever thing has been most precious to people and said, if you're going to follow after me, you have to give that up in a way. You have to give that to me. And he's afraid that people are going to not do that, and they're just going to come for the show. So Jesus' words begin to get very pointed. He begins to challenge people very directly so that they cannot just come for the show. He's going to confront them with just how high the calling is to follow him. And he says a few things that really rock the boat. He, he tells them that he is the bread of heaven who has come down, which confuses people because they think, we know you and where you grew up. We know you're from Nazareth. How could you say you're from heaven? He then says, uh, my father and I, we, we can give eternal life. And when people hear that, they say, wait, your father is God, and you, Jesus, you, the, the carpenter's son, you can give eternal life? How is that possible? And then he says that if anybody would come after them, they must eat his flesh and drink his blood, which is just immensely confusing and, quite honestly, terrifying to people. And as a result, Jesus loses this mass amount of people. People just quit following him. They, they have no interest anymore. And with the people leaving also comes beginning, uh, the beginning of, of persecution by people who are saying, wait, wait, you can't say those kinds of things. You cannot claim to be God's son. You cannot claim to be able to give eternal life. That's blasphemy. And so Jesus begins now, wherever he travels, there are people there from the religious establishment who are going to challenge him on everything he says because you can't say those things. And so Jesus begins to experience real trouble, real trials, real opposition uh, to his ministry. And that opposition isn't just on the outside coming in. It's not just from the religious establishment. We see here in Matthew 12, it is also coming from inside his family and it's coming directly to him. Specifically, his mother and his brothers are having a hard time with his ministry. They don't understand it. Uh, they're worried about it, they're conflicted about it, and they want him to come home. Uh, we can look at them really quickly here. I, I think this is interesting. Mary is there, his mother. And it, really, we can't fully climb into Mary's mind, although we might want to. But you can imagine that Mary is seeing Jesus' ministry, and on one hand, she must be considering the angel's prophecy out of Luke 132. It says this, this is the angel speaking to her. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So you have this incredible prophecy, right? And so Mary knows that Jesus is destined to be someone great, and yet in Luke 2, there is also another prophecy that is given by Simeon, and it says this. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, how do these two prophecies coexist in her heart? On one hand, Jesus is going to be great, and on the other hand, he's going to cause the rising and the falling of many. People are going to speak against him, and his own ministry and life is going to wound Mary's heart. How does she hold them together? We don't know. But we can tell in this moment, as she sees Jesus' ministry, she worries about him in only the way that her mother can. She sees the conflict. She sees Jesus' own tone becoming more intense. She sees the hard words that he is speaking, and she simply wants it to stop. And she says, you need to come back home. That's why she's there. She is there to bring him home and to stop his ministry. It's too much. 
It's too dangerous. Where does this end, Jesus? Where is this going? What's going to happen next? Can't you see the enemies you're making? Mary wants him to come home because she fears for her son. And then you have Jesus' brothers as well, who simply don't understand at all what their brother is doing. Uh, We have this passage in John chapter 7 where his brothers are actually teasing him. Uh, in the way that only a younger brother probably can, right? And I'm sympathetic to them. Uh, at the four o'clock service, my sister usually attends, my sister Kate. Nobody knows that I have a sister, but I do. Uh, and I always think that must be so weird for her to come listen to me preach because she was there when I was breakdancing in the garage wearing MC Hammer pants. I mean, you might think that I'm somewhat impressive in some sort of ways, but she doesn't. She knows exactly who I was at my dorkiest moment. And so for her to come sit here, she must roll her eyes a lot. And since I've watched her, watched me, I could understand how the brothers of Jesus might look at him and go, come on, man, enough, enough. And we find that story happening a couple different places. And now that mom wants him home, They too are there to support mom in this. And they're not just there for mom. Jesus, as the eldest brother, has a role and a responsibility in the family. He carries the family's name. He is going to carry most of the inheritance that comes from the family. It is his job to take care of everyone else in the family after mom and dad are gone. And so he comes with profound, weighty responsibilities that existed in the Jewish culture. And Jesus, right now, You're ruining the family's name. That's how they think. You're ruining our reputation. You're ruining our future. We're losing business. Nobody wants to date us anymore. People are making fun of us. Jesus, it has to stop. And far worse than that. Jesus, people say that you're blasphemous. You're a heretic. They say that you're a false prophet. They say that you're demon-possessed, Jesus. This is bad for you, bad for us. Jesus, you have to stop. And so what you're seeing here in this moment, when the family of Jesus comes to him, it is a family intervention. They're coming to bring him home. And when we look at Jesus' response, at first glance, it can seem really petty. Because it says, someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside, they want to speak with you. And Jesus said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? He knows full well who his mother and brothers are. And yet in this moment, it seems like he almost dismisses them. Somehow that they don't matter as much. And then he shifts his attention to the crowd. Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. It feels like a rejection. It feels like he is shunning them in a way, like somehow their faith is too small. And so Jesus is going to put them aside. He's not going to have anything to do with them anymore. Only those who truly follow after him, only they are now going to be his family. I think it's so easy to read that because the comment is so direct. And yet, what I think is really happening is that Jesus says this comment with a smile because it comes so close to the very heart of his mission and what he cares the most about. Think about for a second, why did Jesus come? Why did he step out of the heavens into human flesh, born into a manger, live, suffer, and die? What was the reason behind it? We might give the answer of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, that Jesus came out of love. And, and we would be right about that. We might say out of uh, John 1.2.2. First John 1.2.2. First John 2.2. There we go. That he came to die for sin. 
1 John 2, 2 says that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for also the sins of the whole world. If we said that Jesus came to die for our sins, we would be right. And if we say that Jesus came to reveal the Father to us, we could go to John 17, 25, that the world does not know you. This is Jesus speaking. But I do. And the disciples that you sent me, and I have revealed you to them and will continue to do so. All of these things are parts of the right answer without being the entirety of it. Because the reason why Jesus came was out of love. It was to solve the problem of sin. It was to introduce us to the Father. But in the end, the motivating reason was to bring us to the Heavenly Father so that we might be adopted as his children. That is his mission. Love is the heart that he does it with. He does so to remove our sin because that's the problem that keeps us from being able to be in a relationship to our Heavenly Father. He reveals the Heavenly Father so that we might actually know who He is and be in a relationship. But the end result of all of that love and His own sacrifice and the revealing of the Father is so that we could be adopted children of God and could come to know Him in the same way that He knows His Heavenly Father. And so when they say to Jesus, your mother and brother are here, he cannot help but simply look at the crowd and go, and here as well. Here they truly are. When Jesus says this, he is not speaking metaphorically, meaning there's times that if we have a really good friend, we might call him bro. Maybe we say sis. I don't know if girls use that kind of language these days. The youths. There might be people that we refer to as that's your uncle or that's your aunt, but they're really just good friends. And so we could stretch kind of family language. That is not what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying that you are now kind of brothers and sisters because you've done the will of my father. He is saying that this is actually what has happened. In fact, this is the truest thing about you now that you have come to know God. Romans 8, 14 to 15 says it this way, that those who are led by the spirit of God, they are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you a slave any longer so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the uh, Hebrew word for daddy. If you go to Israel today, if you walk around in Jerusalem and see a family, you're going to hear children call their father Abba. Last time I was in Israel, I heard it 57 million times. That is your new relationship with the father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might share in his glory. This is the heart of Jesus, to bring us about our adoption so that we could become children of God. It's a fascinating thought then, because when Jesus sends us out in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, he's not inviting us to go and make followers He's asking us to go and widen, widen the family of God. He's asking us to go out and invite people to come to the table, to come into relationship, to enter into the family of the church. When we say we want to be fully family at Coastline, that's not a goal. Because what has happened when we have come to faith in God is that the Spirit has led about our adoption, so we are already children of God, and we are already a family. We are a family. The question is whether we're going to be a good family or a bad family, right? But we're family. And there's families like that. You know families or have had families where you might be good or bad or weird or whatever, but you're still family. And the church, 
still has that choice as well. That we can be a good family, a healthy family, an unhealthy family, a dysfunctional family, but we are always family due to what God has done. And so our prayer at Coastline is that we could be the sort of family that people want to be a part of. And you know those families. You know that sort of family where you liked going to their house because dad was funny at the dinner table and mom made such good food and they're always so supportive and it wasn't like your weird parents. You remember that sort of family? So the picture of the church is that it would be this place of profound love and care and support and encouragement so that it would draw people in to the Father through the family, that they would come to know Jesus Christ due to the profound relationships that exist in this place. You know, we're not used to a church that works that way. We're used to coming to a church that really meets our needs. We go to the church that meets at the right time, in the right city, that has the right kind of worship I like, at the right volume, that has the right programming and the right style, that has the right kind of people there. So we come looking for what works for us. We don't come to a church ready to be a part of the give and take of relationships of family that it requires. Because if you are in a family, there is give and there's take. And that's what the church is. Look, friends, I could tell you all about this and blather on. And I've done this for a couple sermons now talking about family. But I thought I'd actually have some coastliners come up here and tell you a little bit about their heart for coastline and a little about their desire to see you family. So I'm going to invite them up, come to the table, uh, and we're going to take the questions to the next level. Let's give them a round of applause so there's not awkward silence. So true story, uh, I was in the garage today at 3 o'clock, and my wife said, what are you doing? I said, i got to get some tablecloths out because I'm going to set a table up here for an example. And she said, what, you, what, what, what? She said, well, what plates are you going to use? I was like, well, the kitchen plates. She said, no, you're not. Get out of my way. So this was done by my wife. This is our china. We brought it out of the box for this moment. So uh, if you want to serve some food on it, you could be the first. So friends... Thanks for being willing to do this. It was a blast having you share last week at, uh, last week, last service at four o'clock. Uh, and I want to ask you again, when you decided to come to Coastline, kind of committed yourself to being a part of this, I know it came with some hopes about what it could be or what it might be. What are the hopes that you came to Coastline with? They're pointing at you, Jesse. Oh. <laughs> um. My hope for Coastline was to be a place where ourselves, um, as parents, our kids, um, could come and to feel loved, um, to be known by, um, by everybody here. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, it, the podcast that um, John McDonald um, did with you guys a few weeks ago, um, talked about some of the benefits of having a church that's a little bit smaller. And um, man, that seems like a real benefit. We've, I, I have a hope that um, I, did, I did sing a little bit last service, where everybody knows your name, right? <laughs> that's, what I want for, um, that's what I want for our church, is that people would walk in feeling known, that my kids would feel known um, by their... Um, teachers in Sunday school, by grandparents, and but that all the kids would come in feeling loved, and the adults would come in feeling loved as well. Oh, 
All right, so um, my hope is that, um, you know, for all of us, you know, we're all new at this church, and it's okay that we don't know each other very well, or we don't know each other for a very long time, but we can still step out and love one another and share in the joys and be there with the sufferings, you know, and just be a family, you know, and, and the Lord wants us to be a family, and that's what binds us, and um, I want our church to be like that. We're going to gauge your clapping after each response, <laughs> and then we're going to cal kind of calibrate it and determine who got the most applause, and they're going to get an award at the end. So just keep that in mind as you applaud. Uh, no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. When I was thinking about family, uh, when I think of like the word family, is a really negative connotation for me, because mm -hmm. I grew up in a very uh, chaotic household. Like None of us liked each other, a lot of crying, a lot of arguing, a lot of yelling. Um, it's like the first thought of like going home is not like a fun thought, you know, even though they asked me to come home for all the holidays. So, yeah. you know, there's that. Um, but like being a family here and everything that I've already experienced uh, in being part of Student Ministries has been really uh, like loving, I guess, or redemptive. Mm -hmm. It's just like I'm coming to see family in a better way. I'm coming to see families like these people are coming on alongside me and like just loving me for who I am and helping me. Uh, and what, I, what I'm doing. So I hope, like, my hope is that that would continue and become uh, even more. So when I think of family, it's not what happened when I was a kid, but, like, family mm -hmm. here and being a family, you know, with God and with the church. That's good. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> so uh, coming to Coastline, lots and lots of hope, lots of prayer. Um, Lots of uh, expectations, things I was lacking. My uh, uh, experience with family was similar to yours. Um, and so I'm looking for a lot of healing from this family. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we came over here, um, had a wonderful experience with uh, the launch team, followed you guys all over here. And um, it was just like, like, Jesus told us, I mean, he, there's no requirements to follow Jesus except to believe. And that's kind of what we did with the launch team. They didn't say you need, um, you know, a PhD in church planting. Um, there wasn't, you don't need to speak Greek. You don't need to follow the blue butterfly. Um, you just come here and give your, give your um, hope and, and uh, I'm blathering here. Um, just, just love. We start with love. And uh, Carl came with a little reluctance uh, over here. Well, <laughs> like I said, uh, like I said before, uh, yeah, I, I really was very comfortable where I was. Yeah. Uh, I was not uh, looking for change. Uh, so Joyce decided we were coming, and when that happens, that's sort of the end of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, but I. I We've, we've come over here and we've found a home. We've, yeah. we've found a family. Yes. And uh, it's all been good uh, from the, uh, from the, from the uh, initial uh, uh, sermons that have been preached uh, to yeah. the uh, events that have been held. Uh, we feel welcome. And uh, we're sort of the senior citizens of this group, mm -hmm. uh, so that's a big deal to us. Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to find a church and a family where we would be included uh, mm -hmm. for who we are, which are uh, 
the senior side of the family. <laughs> great call. Uh, yeah, we used to be the youngest people in the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not this age, it's coming. Well, let me ask you that. I know you've had a variety of church experiences around the table. When a church does family well, what are the things that it does? What is a church that truly values it? What are the things that you see and that are present there? Um, I think for me, uh, I really valued uh, the fact that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we, um, like my husband said, we don't know everybody, but a church that does church well is one where because we have the bond of Christ, we can break through that barrier of like, oh, I'm, I'm nervous or I don't want to mm -hmm. talk to this person because I don't know what, what mm -hmm. to expect. Um, I think that there's that kind of level of comfort because you already know that you have um, already share that bond that we have in what Christ has done for us already that we can just, you know, kind of break through that barrier. And, and mm -hmm. you know, I'd love to get to know everybody. And I, I share this in my, the, at the four o'clock was, you know, I, I am more introverted, but I think I tend to put myself out there to be able to just, you know, I, I fake extrovert. <laughs> I'm a fake extrovert. Um, but, but that's because I think God's given me kind of that, that um, you know, confidence, I guess, to be able to um, say, hey, you know, I, I want to get to know somebody else who might look different from me, mm -hmm. um, who might be older, younger, whatever. But um, just to just so that I can share uh, my love for them because of what Christ has done for me, and also I can receive love from others here too. And I think I've um, I've experienced that um, and through our life group, etc. But you know, I, I think this is a great opportunity to to do that all over again. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of a restart, and I I'm looking forward to it. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. I think, Sean, to, to your question, I think when a church um, is successful, it looks like um, an example of uh, uh, someone being married into a family and when it's uh, super welcoming. I think of how being married, getting married to Jesse and her family, like treating me like I've been part of the family all along from grandparents, everybody. Mm -hmm. just And you just feel so supported, cared for, loved. And so that's what I'm hopeful for Coastline is that anyone could come in and just feel like integrated into the family, mm -hmm. like you were apart, but now now you're part mm -hmm. of the family and, mm -hmm. and we're together and loving each other. Yeah. And I feel like when you come into the family, um, your stuff isn't too much, like for everybody that's here. Like sometimes we feel like, I think when we have friends, um, we just think, oh, like, I don't want to burden them, right, mm -hmm. with, like, what's going on in my life. And I just don't want to, like, make them sad or whatever if I'm going through something. And, like, I think what family looks like in this family is, like, you're never too much. Your stuff isn't too much for mm -hmm. us. Like, we want to know what's going on with you. We want to care for you in the best way that we can. We want to pray with you. We want to love on you. And one other uh, trait would, it, of a successful church, and of this one, is the inclusiveness. We have 
a diverse population mm -hmm. here. We've got singles, we've got widowed people, we've mm -hmm. got uh, divorced people. We, you know, the world kind of operates a lot of times as a couple, you know, a married couple. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but there's a whole world of people that don't fall in that classification. And we need to just, you know, include others. They have so much to give and uh, just love them. Uh, one thing I was thinking is, uh, I, would, I would agree with you where I'm like a fake extrovert. Um, <laughs> at least when I'm, uh, especially when I'm doing student ministries, because you kind of have to like put yeah. yourself out there. Um, that's just kind of a requirement working with kids. Um, when I'm not there, I'm the biggest introvert that I know. So it's just kind of like, that's how it is. But um, especially when I'm around a lot of people, there's just kind of social anxiety comes in. And so I feel like a family that's working well is I can come and people just come and say mm -hmm. hi, just like, we don't have to have a super long conversation, just they see me, notice me, recognize me. Yeah. And that's just it's enough for me to say like, I'm part of your family because you know me and care about me. So that's, good. that's just enough for me. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. You kind of represent different generations at the, around, at the church, around the table. Uh, what are the needs that you think your generation has that a family could fill? I would say that um, for us as parents, we really need um, the seniors. You know, like we need people that are a few steps in front of us to be able to fill us in, right? Pass down the wisdom. Yeah, to, um, and, and I think it, it just goes along with every generation. You know, like we need to be doing that for our students, for our kids. Um, and I just think that intergenerational piece is something that we really long for in a church. And um, I think it's something that we can also contribute in as well. Um, I think a need um, for, for myself and Vanessa, I think just for all of us to continue to pray for this church. I mean, I think prayer has really helped birth this church to where it is. You know, God's really opened up a lot of doors for us to get to this place. And I think um, it's important that that continues. And um, a part of us is also just to see that our whole family can serve together, right? Everybody is empowered to serve at this church and everybody's needed and that we're all uh, part of the body of Christ that we all need and we can build this family together and mm -hmm. that's, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I think uh, God has blessed me my whole life to give me mentorship because mm -hmm. my relationship with my own dad was not that great and so he put father figures in my life who were able to kind of come alongside me. And so one need that I have is for the rest of my life is always to just have a mentor and a father figure, which I know I can find here in this part of this family who can just mm -hmm. give me the wisdom, like you were saying. Um, you know, because I don't know what I'm doing. I need, you know, I need mm -hmm. older wisdom to kind of guide me. Um, and just like encouragement to know that like, I am on the right path and I'm doing the right thing. Just to know, um, even when it's hard, especially doing student ministries can be hard, <laughs> can mm -hmm. be exhausting, but um, that I'm on the right path and I'm doing a good thing and just me older, wiser mentorship to kind of guide me through that would be awesome. I think that for us, uh, it's we, we certainly want to contribute to our role as seniors, but we we also we want to be included. We get just as much from the young people that we've met at so far in the mm -hmm. in the church as we as we have from our seniors, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think that's really what we're looking for is to really be included in all parts of the family. Yeah. Uh, 
and to have that be a part of what we're looking for. That's great. Well, thank you guys both for what you've done. You know, you guys have been such active servants so far. Uh, your friendships to us and uh, for being willing to be the people on up front that are at the fake table. I know it's nerve-wracking. We really appreciate you. Can we say thanks to them? Thank you guys. Thank you guys. And, you know, in the end, every table comes together, every family comes together around a table, you know, for a meal. It's not really what is served there, uh, but it's the constant frequency of coming and gathering around it, the practice of a family being together that really kind of helps center the family. And that's true in the church family as well, that we gather around a table for a meal uh, where we celebrate Jesus' life and his death and resurrection for us. Uh, so we're going to partake in that and come in a moment. Uh, again, if you need uh, any sort of communion supplies, we, we have them available just out there. We can get you some. But we're going to take a song to focus, and then we'll be entering into our time together. Mm-hmm.